listeners. I'm Matt. I'm Mel. And you're listening to The Mysterious. Missing. And Murdered. So thanks to everybody who's already listened. We've already gotten quite a few uh, listens on all of the platforms, which we are now on. So you can find us basically anywhere you listen to your podcasts, except for Spotify. That is a work in progress. So keep you posted. Yeah. Um, yeah. For anyone who wants any info on upcoming shows or just more info on the podcast in general, you can visit mysterypodcast.com. Which, isn't that just great that nobody had grabbed that yet? Yeah, it's great that that domain was available. That's wonderful. So, uh, yeah, mi- that's mysterypodcast.com. Um, we you publish can, oh. all... Oh, you got... Oh, oh, no, no, you... No, no you. No, no, you. You. No, no you. Uh, uh, you can find all of our episodes there uh, as we publish them every other Friday. You can find most of our shows there... Um, a couple hours before they publish, uh, so check for those every other Friday. Yeah, with that. Yeah, and if you want, you can follow us on the Twitter and the Instagram. Uh, Mystery Podcast was not available for those, so womp womp. Uh, but you can find us at Miss Miss Murpod on both, so that's M Y S M I S M U R Pod on twitter and instagram on so twi- got anything else for our peeps on the twitstagrams don't please don't that's okay well uh let's get started yeah yeah let's So picture this. All right, I'm going to set the scene for you here. So you're working for a book publisher in the Netherlands. Nothing too fancy, you know, pretty low key, not like a top publishing firm, but you know, like you publish books. That's your job. It's just like an average day in yeah. the Netherlands over yeah. there. And I'm Dutch. Yeah, Dutch. Yeah, and you're Dutch. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you're approached with a new pitch from an author you've worked with before. It is a book about six different ways to kill your spouse. Uh, Yeah, specifically your wife. So specifically it's a wife in this case as opposed to a different spouse. Okay. So you you read the manuscript or part thereof. I'm not entirely certain if this is something you would want to read in its entirety or just kind of skim and, you know, turn to a page and see what it says. And you find that it's, like, way too gruesome. Like, this is not the type of stuff that you publish at your publishing house like it's so you just if it was a romance novel you'd be really excited about it because of how detailed it is but because it's a murder novel you're weirded out yeah this is just not like appropriate for your setting for what you do and like the type of things that you publish probably for any setting probably for any setting right uh so you decide that it doesn't you know fit the aesthetic of your quaint little publishing house so you decline you know, but, like, something is kind of nagging at the back of your mind, though. I mean, you've worked with this author before, and they've always used material or drawn from their own life in their books. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, but, like, who would write a book about killing their spouse after killing their spouse? O.J. Simpson. Yeah, O.J. Simpson. But this is the Netherlands, you know? Do they really have O.J. Simpson-esque people? You know, people who are mega rich sports stars who, you know, 
I don't know. Maybe they do. I don't know much about the Netherlands, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, so you're like, okay, whatever, you go on with your life. Um, now, let's fast forward about a decade. So you're, you know, let's just say you're reading the newspaper one morning, listening to the radio. Uh, like, I don't know. And all of a sudden you hear a story about how this dude has been indicted for murdering his wife. Ah, uh-huh, and you're like, I have evidence. I have evidence in my drawer. <laughs> I have something here. you might want to see, right? Yes. So, like, you know, completely true story. Someone writing a book about how to kill their spouse after killing their spouse. It's more likely than you think. Oh, God. <laughs> so, with that in mind, uh, let's do a little bit of background here. So, our main player in this story is a guy named Richard. And Richard was born on March 15th, 1937. And he was the son of Maria, an Austrian woman who had come to work in the Netherlands as a personal servant. And a guy named Jacob, who's the man that his mother was having an affair with. Ooh, saucy. Right. So at the time, his mother was married to a guy named Garrett, who worked for basically local government in the town that they were living in. So when he was three years old in 1940, Richard was sent to live with his mother's family in Austria. Apparently, he looked way too similar to his biological father. And at this time, his mother and stepfather were going through a divorce. And it was just like too much for his mom to handle. So she sent him away. Oh, my God. That's awful. It is really awful. And I mean, it like it gets worse. I mean, she is not a saint. She is not you look a super great person like your dad. So um, I'm divorcing you, too, son. Bye. Right. Like, I basically wish that you didn't exist, but you're here, so I guess I just gotta, like, do something about that. Right, and unfortunately, murder is illegal. So we we figured out what his problem with society is. He got it from his mother. Murder's illegal, and he doesn't like that. (laughs) Right. I mean, like, well, that's a long way off, but we'll we'll get there. Um, So in Austria, uh, Richard lived on a farm with his uncle, so his mother's brother. And five years later, in 1945, Austria was liberated. And he saw some, like, pretty terrible shit. Like, I'm not saying that as an excuse for his behavior later on. But, like, he saw his aunt being raped and his uncle being chained and taken away because they were originally Polish. Mm. And Polish people were being grabbed to basically be in forced labor during the war. Right. Which is pretty shitty. That's really sad. Right. So now he's eight years old. So, I mean, this is like he's he's a pretty young kid while this is all going on. So he was sent back to the Netherlands on a train as his uncle's family was no longer able to care for him, you know, because they were being forced into labor. Right. (laughs) So they were like, huh, I really can't care for this kid. So, you know, like they get through the war. So, like, on one hand, in the good news, his mother survived the war, but she did so by working for Germans. So on the flip side is that once the war was over and because she had worked for Germans um, during like Dutch liberation, she had to spend some time in jail. So a lot of people who had collaborated with Nazis were jailed and like collaborated can be pretty loose. I mean, it's like, you know, you're a secretary or you're like a janitor in their building or something like that. Right. So like, I'm not saying she was like trading war secrets or anything like that. I mean, she was just an average Right. You're a Nazi janitor. You clean the Nazi toilet, you go to jail. That's... Right, like, exactly. Yeah. Which, I mean, pretty shitty, but... I mean, but at the same time, Nazi janitor. You know, I I see both sides. Uh, right, and I think it's hard for us to talk about, like, what was going on in society in the Netherlands in 
the 40s when we were not there. Right. And neither of us are Dutch, so (laughs) can't really speak to that. No. So during this time while his mom is in jail, he's bounced between various foster families, and he even lived with um, his biological father's wife until she died. So he was staying with her, and then she died, and then he couldn't stay with her anymore, which I find kind of interesting that he didn't stay with his biological father. So he's been Um, divorced by two mommies? Yeah, although to be fair, this this woman, you know what I mean, she died, so it wasn't really her choice. But (laughs) still, still, it's like kind of crappy that his biological father at this time didn't step in to offer care for him or anything like that. I I guess a better way to say it is both of his parents have divorced him. Yeah, both of his parents don't really care about him, which is pretty crappy. His mom's like, no, you go live with your dad. And his dad's like, no, you go live with no one since I don't have a wife. Bye. Right. Um. So eventually, though, his mother was released from prison and he went back into her care. So they wandered around the Netherlands, kind of leading a semi-nomadic lifestyle. And they were really reliant on other family members to house them and give them somewhere to live. So they were just kind of like bouncing between different people you know like i stay with you for five months and then i wear out my welcome and so then i go to someone else that kind of a thing this were the modern like (laughs) if this were the modern netherlands it would be like some sort of fairy tale story that like like people do this in between college semesters they just go wander around the netherlands and see right except like this totally wasn't by choice and i'm pretty sure that like those people who do that have money kind of stocked up and i feel like that's not the case for them no so not a fairy tale yeah they're they're clogging around the tulip fields wondering what if tulips are food right exactly I mean, there is a bit of a fairy tale aspect, though, because eventually his mother meets a wealthy man from Switzerland. And instead of, I mean, this is like, once again, she's a shitty person, because instead of being honest and being Uh like, hey, this is Richard, my son, she says, oh, this is my cousin. Oh, my God. And then she, when she gets with this guy from Switzerland, she's she's like, right. And then she's like, I don't want you to, like, disrupt my new life. So you can't live with me anymore. Oh, this is I'm just like it's part of him. <laughs> oh my god, this is like it's it's like the other side of the coin when people you know I don't know see like a mother and daughter or something and like oh you're sisters because they're trying to flirt with the mother or something. And be like right. oh you look so young except now it's the mother doing it. It's like I'm young. Look, this isn't my son. This is my cousin. We're the same age. See, see. Right, like wink. It's like, wink huh look how right even though he was like i don't know probably 12 or 13 at this point so (laughs) hopefully she's not trying to play that age card i've never given Um, birth right exactly i'm like 18 what are you talking about yeah totally 18 18 and (laughs) 18 in that hollywood 30 year old playing a teenager kind of way exactly right she was an early pioneer for that yeah uh so anyway richard Uh, gets sent to live with his biological father and his half-brothers, and he starts to apprentice at being a butcher because his biological father and his stepbrothers are all butchers. They're, they, like, have a butcher shop, and that's what they do. So... Aside from the murder thing, this guy must have been a killer author. He's had, like, a really roundabout life. Oh, wait, there's more. Oh, there's more coming. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, and, and like... As we're reading all of this, though, I really need to take the moment to tell you to take this all with a giant grain of salt, Ah. because from what I can tell, 
where this information is coming from is from Richard himself. So yeah. this is not like a third party or like a cousin or his half brother or somebody like that that we're getting this background information on. I think it's coming from Richard himself. Right. So, but to add well, some pepper with the salt, he also wrote the true tale of how he murdered his wife, apparently. So he's apparently very he's, honest. He's pretty honest. Right. But I mean, <laughs> at the same time, like people like to embellish or kind of, you know what I mean? So I, I just don't want you to think that all of this is 100% we've checked the facts true because it's right. very likely that it was embellished. Right. So this, this isn't Wikipedia validated. This is from one of his books or something. Uh, right. And I mean, like, I trust him as well as he could get away with murder, which, like, he, he didn't. didn't. So, <laughs> like, just keep that in mind. Yeah, but we're fair. not, but we're not, like, done with his life story yet. We're still working our way up because he has to meet his wife, right? We're not even right. there yet. Right. So, as he was getting older and he was, like, in his late teens, early 20s, he got into some criminal activity, cool. quote unquote. Um, and to get away from that, he fled the country and joined the French Foreign Legion in oh 1957 when he was 19. So, if, like, for people who don't know, the, for the French Foreign Legion, even if you are not French, you can join it. And if you serve X amount of years, I, I can't remember how many, like, you can get French citizenship through doing that. You get French citizenship and, more interestingly, you get a new identity and a French passport and, and everything else. So, you can pick right. a new so, name. Right. So, if you've, like, kind of a sorted life you're not doing the right kind of stuff and the police in your country are after you. I mean, this is kind of a good way to get out of it, but I mean, it's not easy work and it's not great work. So no, it's there. They're the, they're in terms of wartime, like even because French, France is a NATO country, they are always the first people to go into war when the U S goes right. to war and France joins them. It's the French foreign legion that goes in first. They're frontline. They are the like, effectively the grunts of the french army as far as i understand it so right exactly and i mean this does come up because he does get um sent off to fight in a war so at the same time in 1957 um there's the um, war of independence in algeria going on so that's where he gets sent so he goes to algeria um and only two years later in 1959 he deserts okay and right so it's really funny because apparently he just like woke up one night and was like, I'm done with this. And just in the middle of the night, hiked across the desert and just left. Well, I understand that's like deserting the French Foreign Legion is something that is like, obviously because they have a bunch of renegades and whatever joining the French Foreign Legion community. They make, if you do desert and are caught, it's, you know, like 25 years in prison or something, hard labor or something like that. Like it's a, it's a hefty punishment. Right. But he's kind of a lucky guy. I mean, he gets away with a lot of shit, as we'll find out. And he got away with it. I mean, he never went to jail for that or got in trouble. Fuck, this is like body barrel guy. He just keeps doing things and doing all the wrong things and nobody catches him. Right, nobody catches him and he just gets away with it. Um, So he actually, he flees back to the Netherlands, specifically to Amsterdam via Italy. And he spent some months working as a chef on like a cruise ship in 1960. Which is weird, because, I mean, it's like, he doesn't have any experience. I mean, so it's butcher, kind of more... According to him. I guess, but that doesn't mean that you're cooking. That doesn't mean that you're actually preparing it into food. I suppose. Can we rewind for a sec? He said he got into legal trouble to join the French Foreign Legion. This just tickled the back of my brain. What, what did he do? I couldn't find... 
really anywhere what he was doing, but it seemed like not anywhere in specifics, but everything that I seemed to see was it was like petty stuff. So not murder. So it was like maybe like theft. Yeah. Right. That kind of a thing. So it's not like, yeah, I had a girlfriend and I murdered her and then I joined the French Foreign Legion. Yeah. As far as I know, it was just all kind of petty stuff. Okay. Like the kind of trouble that you get into when you're 19 years old and you're bored. Right. And so like that that's what it was more. 10 franc fine or whatever their currency was at the time. You <laughs> right. You the French Foreign Legion. <laughs> or like maybe a bit of an overstep, maybe a little bit of an over, you know what I mean, reaction. But that's, that's where he ended up. So now he's okay. back in the Netherlands. And it's kind of funny because I don't know if at this point... Like, whoever was after him just didn't care anymore or what. But, I mean, it's never mentioned again. It never comes up again. It's never like, oh, and I had to, like, be on the, you know, lay low because these people could come for me. You know, I could get in trouble for what I was doing. No, it never comes up again. That feels like it wasn't, like, legal trouble. It feels like it was, like, mafia trouble or something. And That could be, too. But like, also, you think that they would have a better memory. You feel yeah. like they would have, like, a list. And they'd be like, hey, I saw that guy that we were pissed at two years ago. Right. I guess it depends on how he big looks, it was. Right. He looks discernibly more French, but that was definitely him. Right. That was for sure him. Right. For sure. Yeah. Also, he looked kind of like a sea pirate, but, you know, for sure him. Right. So he goes back into the meat industry with his half-brothers. So he just, like, shows up one day and he's like, what's up? I'm back. Can I have my job back? And I guess they say yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> So it was in 1961, so that's only a year after this being a chef on a cruise ship thing, um, that he married a woman named, and I'm so sorry to all of my listeners from the Netherlands, I'm going to mess her name up. I should have looked it up beforehand, but I didn't. Um, Leontine Van Emmerich, um, with whom he had two sons and one daughter. How do you so, spell that? Uh, L-E-O-N-T-I-N-E. So, in 1961, when he was 23, he married a woman named um, Leontine van Emmerich, with whom he eventually had two sons and one daughter. So, interestingly, because I'm like, man, he, like, barely knew her, and they're getting married. That's weird. Um, but their marriage was a, a mochi, or a must marriage, which is, oh, in English, a shotgun, shotgun wedding. wedding. <laughs> <laughs> right, so she had gotten pregnant, and she was, like, so we have to get married, quote unquote. Right again. It is the sixties. Right. So, uh, interestingly, Leontine had been raised with a woman named um Hanlor or Hanny. Hanlor. And he, these names are great, though. They're pretty epic. Yeah. I mean, they seem like they could be characters in like a high fantasy type of a situation. I'm Skeletor, um, and this is my right hand, Hanlor. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Exactly. Canon. Um, But Hanny's mother had been killed by her husband. Oh, dear. So Hanny's father. So keep this in mind. Like, just keep this nugget in the back of your mind. So um, Leontine's father had been a friend of Hanny's father. So after the murder, he, he took in his friend's children. So this becomes like Alanis Morissette irony later on. Oh, my God. We're getting there. So you see, on July 15th... Yeah, not irony. Well, I said Alanis Morissette irony. Right. Right. No, it just took me a minute to digest that. Yeah. Right. That's that's the point. So, okay. Right. So on July 15th, 
Um, nine-year-old Hanny discovered the body of her 46-year-old mother, Maria, who had been thrown down the stairs and killed by her husband, Hanny's father, with a hammer. So she was thrown down the stairs with a hammer? No, she was thrown down the stairs, and then at the bottom of the stairs, he killed her with a hammer. Oh, Jesus Christ. So he threw her down the stairs and then went down the stairs after her and then hit her with a hammer. Until she was dead, yes. That's gruesome. Right, which, can you believe being a nine-year-old kid and this is what you discover? Like, holy shit. Yeah. That's, that's so, and, brutal. That's... And I couldn't believe, like, where I was reading this. It was just, like, a one-line, like, casual, like, huh, like, this happened kind of a thing. And I'm like, why didn't we get more information on this? Like, holy shit, that's horrible. This family, oh my god. Uh, yeah, I know. I know, it's, yeah, it's something else. Sorry, so... I don't know what to tell you, Officer. Murder just runs in the family. <laughs> Right, I don't know why they're still German, but yeah, I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know how to do a Dutch accent. It's <laughs> so okay. Well, that's your homework. You'll research that for the next time we do a Dutch case. Yeah. Anyway, so I mean, Richard and Leontine had known each other not very long, and Hanny was much younger than Leontine. So, Hanny was actually 13 when she first met Richard, and reportedly she said that she fell in love with him instantly. So, in 1969, Hanny and Richard start having an affair. Oh, God. Which is about eight years after Richard got married to Leontine. Right. So, he and his wife stick it out for a while, and they buy a flat together in 1970, and they stay together until they divorce in 1977. So it wasn't clear to me if this affair was, like, a one-time thing, and then they broke it off, and then, like, started up again, or if it's, like, this whole time they're having an affair. That was not clear to me. Right. So, Leontine is not our victim. No. No, Hanny's our victim. Yes. Oh, poor Hanny. Yes, so in 1971, or not, sorry, in 1978, which is a year after the divorce, uh, Richard and Hanny get married, and they move to a small village that's in the Netherlands, and it's um, it's pretty far away from Amsterdam. We'll kind of get into where it is a little bit later, but so they, they're moving away from, like, kind of the big city atmosphere. So he's, what, 40 uh, now? Yeah, he's... He's, like, a grown man. Right. Yes, a grown adult. It's really confusing, too, though, because I found another source that said that a friend introduced Hanny and Richard, not this connection via his first wife. But, oh. like, that was through The Guardian, and these other sources were, like, Dutch websites. So I'm going to go with the sources on these Dutch websites. I just didn't want someone to Google this case, see this Guardian article, and be like... Girl, yeah. you're lying. Like, I don't think that they were right, based on all the other information I saw. Yeah, that seems fair. Okay, so Richard and Hanny, let's get on to their relationship. So at this point in time, you know, Richard's, like I said, a grown-ass adult. He's been working for a long time, so he's built up some money. So he invests his pension in the stock market. And at this time, Hanny was working at a nurse at this local hospital. And they're actually doing like pretty good for themselves i mean at one point richard is able to buy a house in portugal for like wow. a vacation house right which like once again i don't really know if that's like if it's cheap to buy land in portugal but i mean to me that screams you have money right is this the equivalent of a baby boomer having a cabin by a lake in the north or is this like they really have money? right like it's it's hard to say yeah 
Right, do all Dutch people who are older and have a little bit of wealth, like, do they all have houses in Portugal? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, hard to say. <laughs> hard to say. Uh, but in 1983, Richard publishes his first book, Gehorzam als ein Hund, which is translated to Obedient as a Dog, um, a novel that was, for reasons unbeknownst to me, a small success. And it's about his time with the French Foreign Legion. Ah, okay. Yes. So like I said, he's... About like a relationship or something. <laughs> no. Oh, that would be terrible. No. But like I said, he draws from his life on, you know what I mean, when he does his books. Um, the novel became a topic of debate after Sonia Berend, who is a Dutch TV personality and talk show host, like some of our Dutch, if we have Dutch listeners ever, might recognize her by name. Um because he, uh, Sonia has Richard on her show, and she accused Richard of racism toward Jews <laughs> during a TV interview because the protagonist of this book expressed prejudice against Jews. And she's like, okay, well, clearly the protagonist is you, so I think you're racist. Right. Are you an anti-Semite? It sounds like it. Mm. And he actually walked out of the studio during the interview, so he was pretty upset about this. And right. his second novel, uh, his second novel was called, um, De Hotel Rat and Andre Verhallen, which is The Hotel Rat and Other Stories. So that was about his time just sort of bouncing around, traveling, seeing the world, that kind of a thing. <clears throat> and he didn't see much of the world, but that's what it was about. He saw a lot of um, Europe. Yeah. And it's also based on his life. So uh, now we kind of get to the, dark side of Richard, I guess, um, because according to one source who seemed to be a friend of Hanny's, although it's not clear to me, um, at some point around here, he began to drink heavily and he would sometimes hit Hanny and then she would leave and spend the night with friends because she effectively doesn't have parents. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So there was some marital strife here and that is compounded by the fact that in 1987, the stock market collapsed. And he lost his home in Portugal, womp womp, and all of his money. So someone who was already having a problem with alcohol and having anger issues and having this is just going to make that worse. Right. And like rightly so around this time, Hanny gets really pissed with Richard because, as she found out after the stock market crashed, he had actually been secretly taking her money and putting it into the stock market as well. So he lost not only all of his money, but all of her money as well. Oh, my God. What a- right, which, like, I'd be mad about that, too. Like, this is a valid thing to be upset about. Yeah. Uh, aside from the murder, he's just terrible. He's not a saint. It's not right. like he was this perfect human and then he just snapped one day for some unbeknownst reason. No, I mean, just like quick recap, he like stole a bunch of stuff and then he joined the French Foreign Legion and then he deserted the French Which he Foreign deserted. Legion. Yeah, in the middle of a war. <laughs> right in the middle of the night. Right, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a war. And then he cheated on his wife and married his mistress who was like... Well, and essentially with his, essentially with his wife's sister. Right. Like, <laughs> with the person who had been raised as her sister, yeah. Right, his sister-in-law, like, yes, okay, you've you've made some mistakes so far. Like, right, only, you're not really a likable character, right, my the, dude. The only good thing I think you've done in your life is maybe spend some time on that cruise ship and buy a house in Portugal, which you then lost. Like, <laughs> also, you had like three kids, and I didn't hear anything about the kids. Maybe they're wonderful people. Maybe they're really great people. So I guess that was his contribution to the earth. 
Yeah, but then he took then he took away a person though. So exactly. No, no, no. I'm just saying that, like, you know, the math the math still doesn't add up. <laughs> That's fair. That's people fair. Math. The math people are the, math. The people math. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Oh god. So I mean, at this point, their marriage is deteriorating fast, and they're fighting often. Fair. So now we are up to the murder itself. Oh, and also he beats his wife apparently. Yeah, which really like I that. only saw, like it mentioned a couple of times, and not necessarily in very what I would say like sources that I would instantly trust. But at the same time, given his history, I'm gonna say I believe it. And the times and the circumstance, yeah, it sounds right. Very believable. So this is all leading up to the murder itself, which happened in late January, on January 30th in particular. So they're having one of these explosive fights. So they're really upset and fighting with each other. And this one started off like all the rest, you know, upset about money, upset about money management, where they were. But unlike before, at the end of this one, Hanny was dead. And she had been smashed in the head with a crowbar by Richard. Jesus. Yeah, he crushed her skull and killed her. What? Okay. Okay, so there's, not to be crude, there's a lot of ways to kill people, and these, like, this family prefers, apparently, blunt, blunt tools. You could stab someone. Well, and it's like anger. Right. Like, it's... You know what I mean? Like, it takes a lot of anger to, like, beat somebody to death, I think. Stabbing is quick. Stabbing is right, a, or like is if you moment. shoot somebody one time, right? Sh- like you know what I mean? That's like it's like moment. the difference between shooting somebody once and shooting somebody seventeen times, right? So I mean, because Hanny is dead, the only and there weren't witnesses. The only account we have from that night is Richard, and I don't believe him for a hot second. Oof. He says that Hanny pointed to the door and quote grabbed a crowbar to reinforce her words and quote telling him to get out. So a struggle ensued, and he was the only one left standing. So according to him, he's trying to make this out like she threatened him, and it was like self-defense. And I don't believe that at all. Who the hell just has a crowbar lying around in their house, and then they pick it up, and they're like pointing at the door with it? I don't believe that at all. I had to keep hitting her, officer. My life was in mortal jeopardy. Even when she was lying bleeding on the Even ground, I had to like hit her again. clearly already dead. Right. right. I had to hit her again and again and again because I was just so scared for my life. Even though I had right. a so, and I was on top. Right. So, like, Richard is a dirty liar and I don't believe him for a hot second. Right. Right. It clearly doesn't add up. Uh, like, there's no circumstance where that would actually add up. Right. So, he didn't want to go to prison or, you know... Like, face a tough situation, which he's clearly never done before in his life, <laughs> as he just flees every tough situation that he comes across. Right, so he runs. So, right, so he basically runs. He decides to bury her body, her body excuse me, in the garden underneath a shed. Body her so then he covers... Yes. So he covers that with a layer of concrete, and then, like, re-puts the shed on top. So he's like, oh, they're not going to find it now. There's concrete here. Can I... Okay, how does... He's still in a small town. He's not, like, in the middle of nowhere, right? Right. So, like, his neighbors or somebody is noticing the fact that he's doing major excavation and construction in his yard, I would assume. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. Okay. We'll get there. Okay. Um, and just as a note, at this point in time when she died, Hanny was only 43 years old, which is only three years younger than her mother was when her mother was murdered. Oh, my God. That's tragic. 
Yeah. So not only tragic. does murder run in this family, but being murdered runs in the family. It's like you get cancer yeah. in your early 40s. You're just murdered in your early 40s. It's genetic. You can't avoid by your it. spouse. By your spouse, right. Right. You can avoid this so- by going to the doctor every three years for cancer screenings and also not marrying. <laughs> right. Being a hermit. Right. Live in a cave. Yeah. That's, that's your best option. Yeah. So now what I want to do is I want to zoom out. And look at the case from the outside, right? So we're going to leave Richard's perspective and we're going to zoom out. Okay. So it's 1991 and Hanalore goes missing in this small, quiet hamlet of Hungridge Wolf, apparently is the name of the place where they lived. Hungridge And it only has... Yes. And I mean, it is very small. It only has a population of 30 people. Oh my God. Yes. Um, it's a little over a two hours drive from Amsterdam. And it sits on the far eastern border of the Netherlands, so it's actually like right on the Netherlands Germany border. So I was so, I might have been right with German accents. That might have been more correct than you led me to believe. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not I'm not gonna give that to you just <laughs> easily though. <laughs> <laughs> That's so Richard contacts the police and reports Hanny missing. Oh, God, Richard. <laughs> but we we know she's already dead. You right. know what I mean? You, me, and our listeners, and everybody now in 2018 know that she's already died. Um, It's unclear to me exactly when he reported her missing. The only numbers that I could find was six days later, which is pretty suspicious if your wife goes missing and you wait six days to report her missing like that's pretty sus he obviously waited until like the concrete had set and like it rained (laughs) once to make sure like like it was you know that whatever he put back on top was was like weathered and not new and not like newly right he was not calling the police like when the concrete was still wet right right so i mean and also like if he had a penchant for beating his wife and like it was well known that she would leave and go stay with friends for a couple of days or something afterwards I can imagine six days, he'd be like, yeah, we had a really big argument, and maybe I hit her, and maybe she went to stay with friends like she always does, but now she hasn't come back, and I don't know where she is. Right, like, like that's a good point, that he could have used that as his excuse, was right, that, this, you know what I mean, she has this known history of we get into a fight, she leaves for X amount of time, and then comes back, but this time she didn't come back. Like the case of, of, of Reyna, this is already kind of striking me as, maybe it won't, but... I have a feeling the police are going to be like, oh, well, she, she probably just left you because you're a shitty husband. We're not going to look for her body. Bye. Well, they do a little bit better. And okay. we'll get to that. We'll get okay. to that. Okay. It's because, like, the police are instantly suspicious of him. I mean, it's a town of 30 people. And the husband always did it. Right. The husband always did it. You know what I mean? It. Yeah. It, like, even, even if... In the small percentage of cases where the husband doesn't do it. I mean, people most of the time are going to get murdered by like a spouse or a family member or a friend not by a complete stranger and especially when it's a wife who goes missing very often it's a domestic issue and the husband does it so like you're not being a good police officer if you do not question and investigate the husband in these cases because of of the statistics of how often the husband is actually involved in or the spouse can how often the spouse is actually involved in in the crime or is complicit in the crime or is at least aware of the crime it's always good to question the people closest to them. It's the myth of stranger danger. No, right, few... like you start closest and then you move out. You right, don't start right. 
right? far it's out like, and move in. It's like very few children are ever abducted just on the street by a man in an ice cream van. It's always by someone they know. Like, almost always by someone they know. Same right, thing. exactly. Yeah. And her bicycle is found near a train station in um, Washoten, which is like the nearest bigger town. It's actually the same town where the hospital was where she worked. But various people come forward to the police to tell them that they saw Richard putting the bike there. <laughs> and they like, it's the next biggest town. But he's from a town of 30 people. So the next biggest town is what? A town of 100 people? Everybody knows right, Richard. Right, it is not a metropolis. Right, that I've, No, it is not a metropolis. It is bigger than 30 people. Right, especially... Which is not hard to do. Right, especially if he's a semi-successful author who went on TV and was accused of being an anti-Semite shortly after World War II. Like... He's a local celebrity in one way or another. People recognize him. Right. And it was the day after the murder that they saw him doing this. <laughs> so, especially if he's, like, waiting however many days and then reporting her missing. And they're like, but we saw him putting her bicycle by the train station five days ago or whatever. Right. So like, he was planning this. Come he was on. planning his story. Right. Exactly. So they search his home and they even detain him. But, I mean... There's not a lot of evidence at the house. This was before Luminol was invented. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not sure when Luminol was invented, actually. Well, and also you need to have, I think, like, I don't know. I don't know if just in, like, the preliminary search you can do a bunch of chemical testing or if that's a separate thing. Right. I don't know. And also yeah. this is another lens. I'm not sure what their laws are. Right. I don't know how warrants work, the probable cause works or anything like that. So. Right. So, like, grudgingly they have to, like, let him go but my favorite part my favorite part about this is that they do take as evidence an itsy bitsy teeny weeny little uh, meat mincer from his home just in case wait like uh why uh because they think it might have been used in the murder i guess which is silly to me because it's like i mean it's tiny it is tiny like it would take Weeks. A crazy amount of time to, like, grind up a human body in that. It, like, it's little. It's little itty-bitty. Like, like, I saw a picture of it. It's itty-bitty. So, like, these guys have been reading too many murder mystery novels. <laughs> right, or, like, maybe they do it just to spite him. Right, like, this just is... Just to be like, I'm taking this for evidence. This is our meat grinder now. Right, this is ours now, just to, like, mark their territory. I'm right. not sure. <laughs> what you get for beating your wife and maybe murdering her? Maybe making her leave? We're not really sure. But we're going to find out. Can we talk about how the fact that the evidence they find that links him to her disappearance is her bicycle? I love how Dutch that is. That is very Dutch. That's which very is, I mean, detail. and it's great, too. I don't know how many people who are listening have ever been to Amsterdam. But, like, when I went to Amsterdam, there were bikes everywhere. And like, I mean, it's like, you're more likely to get hit by a bicyclist than you are by a car or anything like that. And and it's it's crazy, too, because there are... Like, if you're in the States, or even most of like, most of Europe, you have your sidewalks and you have your roads. And sometimes the bikes are on the roads. And, like, in most places, the bike shouldn't be on the sidewalks, because that's a pedestrian area. Because it's for walking. Right, that's for walking. In the Netherlands, there are three there are three types of roads. There are bike paths, there are sidewalks, and there are road roads that the cars go on. Right. And the, the, where the cars go is also where the trains go, which is really scary. But, like, it's really, really easy to get hit by a bike if you're not mm -hmm. used to it because you just walk in the not road because you're used to it being a sidewalk. But it's actually the bike place. 
And yeah, they, and they have no time for your shit. They have no time They will for run you shit. over. <laughs> no, they are, like, they are, like, New Yorkers walking. So, like, but they're right. so they're so polite, because they don't, like, yell and swear at you. They just ring their bell. They just ding, 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 it's ding, very ding, ding. But it's very aggressive bell ringing. I don't know how, <laughs> like... How bell ringing could be so aggressive on a cute little bell like that, but it is. It's very aggressive bell ringing. Like, they clearly have no time for your tourist shit. Get out of our city. Get out of our rug. Like, right. Yeah, it's... Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so getting back, getting back to our case, the, the police, according to them, they questioned him so rigorously that they felt like he almost confessed, but he held out. And even Richard later would confirm this by saying that he almost confessed, quote, <laughs> To a caring detective, end quote. But just as he was about to confess, the detective was called away to answer the, a phone call. And then Richard, like, got over it and was like, I'm not going to confess. Oh, my God. I know, right? That'd be so infuriating to hear that. Like, if you're that detective and you remember it and you're like. Nobody ever call me God. again. Ever. Ever. Right. Ever. Never. So a year later in 1992. Richard approached his publisher, you'll remember this from the start of our episode, uh, with a new book titled um, Woen's Dog, um, Get Heck Dog, which is, I, I totally messed that up. How I would have done it? How I would have done it? Um, no, it actually uh. translates to Wednesday Minced Meat Day. Uh, remember that little uh, meat, meat grinder? Mentor? Yeah, so he's making yeah. fun of the police in the title of his book. Yes, yes, he is. Oh, God, that's at least, okay. I have to give him a little bit of credit, just... For how fucking cheeky that is? How fucking cheeky that is, and how creative it is. Like, look at OJ's book title, How I Would Have Done It. Isn't that what it is, something like that? I think so, I think it's something like that. But it's just like, OJ's just like... Like, his title is basically, yeah, if I would have killed her, I would have done it like this. Colon turn the page, the book begins, right? Like, that's the title of OJ's book. <laughs> right. This guy's like, ha the police stole a meat pencil from me. I will make fun of them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Right, exactly. Okay. Um, and the book goes on to detail seven different ways in which he might have killed his wife. Oh, Jesus. And he, right, well, and he claimed that this was all based on the local tales and folklore that had sprung up around his wife's disappearance because his neighbors, all 29 of them, 100%, well, I guess it's 28 now, because Hanny is dead. Yeah. But they all totally believe he did it. Like, they know he did it. Oh, my God. And so, they're talking about it. So seven different... So he so he gave... Oh, my God. So was one of them the way he actually did it, or...? That's a good question. I couldn't find that anywhere, but I presume yes. Okay. Because it would be a really, like... If he detailed seven ways that are none of them the way he did it, he's like, yeah, I would have buried her under this apple tree over here. And then, like, the police dig under that apple tree and then explore all the seven ways. They just never find her body. Right. Well, and, you know, we were likening this to our first episode. And that's, I mean, you're going to see another parallel again coming up here. So we'll we'll get to that, though. And we'll we'll talk about it when we get there. Oh, no. So, and I mean, you know, like the title suggests, even one of these ways included the infamous meat mincer. Right. So around this time as well, Richard decided to engage in a new landscaping project uh, where he, quote, was building a man-sized monument in his garden with animal skulls and bones, end quote. Man-sized? Yes. That's how it was described. As in (laughs) human-sized? Yes. 
Um, and then I just want to like, I just want you to know that where I got this information from was from a website that had gotten that information directly from the current publisher of his murder book. Jesus. Like, what the hell is life? Right, because somebody does publish this book eventually, and well, we'll we'll get do. there. Yeah, of course they do. So uh, I, I have to. I, I hesitate to say this, considering I haven't heard the rest of the story, and it from your verbiage, it might get worse. But it seems like he's doing like the kind of murder guilt thing, where he's like being very cheeky and wants to get caught. Like he wants them at least subconsciously even, to find her body and arrest him because he has, like, some sort of latent guilt. Yeah, I mean, I could see it. I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like, from what I understand of the case and the story, I don't think he felt particularly guilty about it. Fair. You know what I mean? That's just my opinion, though. I mean, I don't... And even if he was guilty, I don't really feel that bad for him. Yeah, no, I don't... Because he should say, he should be like, there's a body under my shed. Arrest yeah. me if he's really that guilty about it, and he right. isn't. Right, no, that's fair. So, I mean, at the time, this book that he wrote was rejected by his previous publisher and a bunch of other publishers, and it was even called, quote, a literary failure, end quote. Oh, God, it, uh, that's, there's a Harry Potter parallel there. <laughs> right, so it's just like it's not a good book, according to them. Yeah, fair, fair. So he continues to live life as normal, goes on with his business, writing more books, including, um, I'm not even going to try with these Dutch titles anymore because I feel so bad because I'm so bad at it. Um, but a book called Ransom in 1993 about a jewelry robbery, which like, maybe he bought, like robbed for jewelry in his past because that seems to be the pattern here. Is that why he joined the French Foreign Legion? Right. Um, and then a book in 1997 called Cross Our Coin, which was about his uncle Victor, um, who had served in the Secret Service. So um, Cross Our Coin painted a really harsh and realistic view of how people tried to survive on either side of the war in World War II, which, I mean, we do know based on his background and story that he would have experience with this or, right. you know, personally know people who had to deal with that or struggle with it. Right. And also he's an anti-Semite, so. Uh, right. <laughs> So, in the same time, in 1987, Richard decided to move to Amsterdam, selling his home in the process to live with a new girlfriend. So, in the best part, and oh I just Oh my I just god, can't. I see where you're going with this. Oh my god. Yes, yes. But, like, okay, so two best parts here. One, I read on a comment on, it was like this weird forum where somebody had mentioned this case. And somebody was specifically talking about this monument that he had you know, built in his garden that his neighbors were like, yo, what the fuck about? And somebody commented and said that they were his girlfriend at the time and they suggested he do it as like a joke. But again, it's on a forum. It's like, you know, mm. anybody could go on there and be like, yeah, it was his girlfriend. It was my idea. But I'm like, also, if you did that, so did you know that he had killed his wife and you were just okay with it? Or, like, you thought that it was ridiculous and he didn't kill his wife? You know what I mean? Like, I would, I would hope that it's like, the whole, of course you didn't kill your wife, honey. She just left you because you beat her. I, I, yeah, I don't see how that's good, however you swing it. But, right. So, like I said, could totally be just some random person trying to insert themselves into the drama, but I'm not sure. So, anyway, he's selling his house to move to Amsterdam to live with his girlfriend, and he's, like, giving them the sales pitch, and, like, yeah, here's a very good shed. You can put all sorts of things in here. Put your lawnmower, <laughs> put your gardening tools, put your meat mincer, put your bodies. 
Yeah. Oh, just kidding. Oh, just kidding. Have you read my book? <laughs> right. Um. So he sells the house, and things are quiet for a couple of years. But then in February of 2000, the new homeowners decide to do some renovating, oh. and they begin to make changes to the garden in specific. And oh. this includes pulling up the shed in the concrete slab. Well, at least, at least it took them less than 30 years to investigate the spooky barrel. Right. Oh. And they were the immediately after people. It wasn't like three families later. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, they find human remains, call the police. And the police go and grab Richard, and he confesses, like, immediately. Like, he doesn't try to tell them, oh, it wasn't me, I didn't do it. He's like, oh, yeah, it was me, I did it. Yeah, she put I a, put her body there. Yeah, she she put a bike at the train station, and Zen went and lived under the shed for a while. She must have died, though. <laughs> I don't know. I think that he actually confessed to murdering her. I think that <laughs> the jig was up at this point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and it's funny because apparently the new owners of the house were quite annoyed with, like, finding a body, which I think is pretty, like, ridiculous. That's what the article said, too, that they were annoyed. Oh, my God. That's such, like, a... How right, they're dare. inconvenienced how, by a murder. How dare will a body be there? I mean, really. That really inconveniences our renovation plans, you know. Right, and apparently the, one of the new owners said, quote, I've had nothing but trouble with this house, end quote. <laughs> and they were... Uh, right, oh but no, God. here's why. Is it here's the, why. because the toilet leak, the shower, like, made that kind of, like, pipe rattling noise, and then also there was a body under the shed? Is that why? No, it's because people wanted to come and see where the body had been. Oh, it's like, okay, it's like the house from Breaking Bad where people won't stop throwing pizzas on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible, and I feel bad for those house owners. I do. Yeah. But apparently, the new owners of the house got to a point where they were telling reporters that they would need to pay five or six hundred guilders to see the spot where the body had been found, which is like three hundred dollars USD. Oh my god! So they're charging people to come on to the yard and like see where the body had been found. I mean, given the like adjusted backwards for inflation, that probably pays their mortgage every month for per person. That probably makes some serious money doing that. But I also have to wonder, like, how many... I mean, I guess this was, at this point, like, a national, and maybe it had even reached worldwide right. status. But I'm still like, what, you have, like, 50 different reporters showing up at your house every day? Like, yeah. I, I guess I just don't have a scale, like, a reference of scale. Right. Um, And so at this point, now that her body has been found and it can be laid to rest, um, friends and colleagues of Hanny gathered near what had been her home, so not on the property, but nearby, to leave flowers and to remember her. And uh, the local newspaper reported after they spoke with her friends that she had been given a proper burial somewhere quiet and beautiful. So she did get a nice burial. You know, people remembered her, people thought about her. Good. Um, So Richard was sentenced to six years in prison for manslaughter in August of 2000. I'm sorry. Which is kind of frustrating that it was manslaughter and not murder, but once again, I'm not sure if they, like, just didn't have enough, enough evidence. I don't know how laws work over there. Like, I mean, he's old. Yeah, he's old. It was a long time ago. There's no evidence aside from the fact that there's a body and he confessed to allegedly what was self-defense, based on what you said before. Exactly. Because, I mean, so. her body had decomposed by this point. It was just bones. It wasn't like... They could do an autopsy. Right, so I'm sure the I'm sure the plea deal just will because you know, plea deals exist everywhere. I'm sure he 
he confessed to manslaughter but wouldn't confess to murder and they weren't sure they could have like actually convict murder gone to trial for it yeah so they took it which i mean happens very frequently in cases where the murder happened x amount of years ago and there's just not a lot to go off of anymore especially if somebody is confessing like you'd rather take them for what you know you can get them for than go to trial and get nothing right and potentially let them go free So it's really interesting, though, because he went with this and then he appealed the sentence in February of 2001, a year after her body was discovered. And this is like, I know, but it's it's hilarious to me because somehow his um, sentence was increased to seven years (laughs) during this process. (laughs) So they're almost like, you know what? Screw you for that. You're getting another year. 365 days. But, I mean, it almost doesn't matter because he was released in 2003 for good behavior. I mean, the Netherlands and, like, that kind of whole part of Europe, like, near, like, northern Europe and kind of the Nordic region is is very well known for having not lenient prisons, but very, like, reformative prisons. They have things where, like, even violent offenders, they, you know take them through many, many stages of anger management, and they actually do try to do the full rehabilitation process and reintegration into society. And for nonviolent offenders, there's, like, whole things where they can hold full-time jobs outside of prison, and they basically just come back to the really nice prison at the end of the day, and they're granted a lot of leniency. Like, it's it's very... It's not about punishment. It's about, re, like, you know, rehabilitation and reintegration into society. It's not... So I, I get that, but at the same yeah, time, yeah, I'm still this like man, bitter though. Yeah, this man murdered his wife with crowbar, like after beating her and being a general trash human for uh, exactly. Like he right, not... like, and I'm all for you know reforming, and you know what I mean. Like there are people who commit crimes and they're not like bad people, but I feel like it really takes something to just murder your spouse in cold blood. All right, interesting question. Did his girlfriend stay with him through his prison sentence? <laughs> See, and that's really interesting, too, because I know that at least after he got out of prison, he had a girlfriend, and it was really unclear to me if the girlfriend that he had moved to Amsterdam with was that same girlfriend or if it was a different person. After he had confessed, like, not gone to trial and wrongfully convicted, like, straight up confessed to the murder Exactly. Exactly. Said, I did it. Right. So, and that's something I was really interested in, and I tried to, like, dig into it more but there just wasn't a lot of information i mean even on like dutch websites i was finding and looking i mean it, like she's never mentioned by name so i don't know anything about her i mean that's great like she deserves her privacy whoever right whoever, but it's like we want to know inquiring minds want to know inquiring minds want to know i'm glad she has her privacy but at the same time are you the same woman what right i really deal? need to know please tell me yes right. or no Please like, tell me, how did this man ever blink have a twice relationship? twice for yes, blink once for no. Right. Did, did this man have a relationship after he got out of prison for murdering his wife? Because that's weird. That's weird. Yeah, like, that you willingly choose to be with someone who you can just, like, find out I mean, murdered his wife. I mean, I guess you could just... He's not, not trying that hard to hide it. Right. I mean, I get. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I just don't... So... So like to still, continue, we're almost done. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. almost done. There's just a little bit of wrap up. Right. Um. So, you know, like I said, he after that lived in Amsterdam. Um. And his book eventually got published in October of 2007. His Wednesday is Meatman's Day. Um. So that's and I mean it's kind of achieved like a cult status. Like it's actually fairly popular. Which I find is just terrible and makes me mad. 
Um, and then an actor or in t- 2014, actor Albert Secour performed a theater performance of the book um, in Amsterdam, not in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands. So somebody like turned it into a play and like performed it, which I <laughs> have no interest in seeing a recorded version of that. I want nothing to do with it. Oh my god! What like of the whole book of all seven? It wasn't clear to me. It was just like they took the book and made it into a theatrical production, but there was no additional information. So I don't know if it was like a word for word kind of a thing, or if they like made it, it into their own. A you know, really good writer. I don't know if I'd say really good. Well, I don't, and I didn't read. I mean, yeah. none of the books that I could find have really been translated into English. Apparently, some people are wanting this book about murder to be translated into English. I mean, if somebody who speaks Dutch wants to go ahead and read it or read part of it and tell us what you think, if you think it is good or not, feel free to do so. But, I don't have the skills to do that. As but is. at the same time, maybe don't. You might be sad. It might make you sad. Yeah, and that's... Um, that's well, and also, yeah. he's not going to get money from it right now because he died in yes. January of 2016 at the age of 78. Oh so, like, there's a little bit of speculation here because at first it was stated that he had died in his sleep. However, this is my best. This person is called a journalist and philosopher. Oh, God. Right. Uh, Martin Mayer, who has written a biography of Richard stated that it was suicide. So Martin claims that a detective who was in the house when Richard was discovered said that Richard had shot himself in the head while laying in bed. And, like, this seems at least somewhat credible because apparently Richard had made statements in the past that he had thought about killing himself specifically in that way. Hmm. So, I mean, it's like, okay, I guess that could have happened, but at the same time, we don't have, like, definitive information, like, from the police or something like that. Slightly more polite than doing it in your friend's car. Yes. To to take back to episode one again, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Um, And I also, like, found it just mind-boggling that, remember this post I had been talking about that I had found? Um, This supposed girlfriend of Richard's was bemoaning how he was just, like, a misunderstood person. And I'm like, <gasps> I don't want to understand someone who's a murderer like, in this I, way. I'm happy to misunderstand them. I'm so happy to, to have them be misunderstood and for me to continue to always misunderstand them. I don't, yeah, yeah. <sighs> so that misunderstood. is. Right, like he can't help the way he is. Then he shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> right, then he should not exist. Society doesn't uh, need that. Oh man. Yeah, uh, so that's our story. That's what I that's what I have for you. Ugh. Um it was really it was really interesting to research because the only like big article I had found in English about it was from The Guardian and it was kind of not a very good article. That's because it's The Guardian and they're <laughs> the Guardian. <laughs> right. So I had to like do a lot of extra digging, uh, but I just uh, can't believe it. I mean I I can believe it. But yeah. I still like to say I can't do it. Yeah, that's... Man, what, Wednesday is mince meat day? Is that what it is? Yeah. Ugh. 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 Gross. <laughs>